Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and now joining me, Stephen Ruiz, for the first time since he joined The Ringer. You were at USA Today before. You've been on the show many times. What is up, Stephen? Congratulations on the move, my friend. Thanks. I appreciate it. I think it's been like a month now, and I'm, I'm having the time of my life. It's been everything I expected it to be. That is very cool. That is very cool. Well, you get to work with Kevin Clark and uh well that's one of the downsides yeah that's one of the downsides yeah sure (laughs) uh i always enjoy the once a year i get to run to kevin i don't know if you'll ever get a a training camp tour of your own but that's when i i get to see kevin once a year when he comes to write about the vikings and uh this year i i don't i don't know what he wrote but whatever if he wrote that they were going to be good uh it hasn't worked out so far so (laughs) I guess we'll see. So I wanted to change gears a little bit from what we've been talking about on the show, which as you can imagine, when your football team goes one and three is just everything is sadness. I mean, that's just how it goes. Every, everyone is playing bad. Everyone is wrong. And it's an unfortunate situation, but I do want to ask you to start um, before the season. What, what was your take on the Vikings? Did you have one or were you kind of like, well, they exist. I, I honestly don't know. I think I was like, well, they exist. I thought they would be better than they were a year ago, but I didn't know if they were going to make the necessary improvements on defense to get to where they were. What was it? Two years ago now when they uh, beat the saints and lost to the 49ers, it just seemed like a team that was running in place. And those are the most boring teams in the NFL, right? It's kind of like being an eighth seed in the Eastern conference in the NBA, the worst place you want to be. Yeah. And, and we've been talking about that a lot, but I think that that's the hardest thing for everybody is when you get stuck in that spot. And uh, I've sort of made some comparisons to where Cincinnati was a few years ago with Marvin Lewis, um, because usually when you get stuck in that spot, you usually don't like jog yourself out of it and, and make the one move that you go from middle of the pack to all of a sudden great, unless it's quarterback. Uh, usually where you go is like a slow slide into uh, being forced kicking and screaming to have to eventually rebuild things. And I, unless they can turn it around, I feel like that's where we're headed here. Yeah. And it's almost like you don't want them to turn things around to the point where you're just making it to the playoffs, but you're not like a threat. That almost would be a bad thing. And I think that's kind of where the Vikings have been. And I know we've talked about this before, where it seems like they're chasing that 2017 year and what happened and getting back to that spot. But it's tough. It's tough being an NFL team because I know if I was the Vikings in that following offseason, maybe I would have made the same move for Kirk Cousins. Maybe I would have been like we were just a quarterback away. But things change year to year. And what your holes were last year, yeah, I mean, there may be new holes the next year, and it, it, it just always felt like they were a step behind, and now it feels like they're two or three steps behind. 
Right. And following the 2019 uh, season in the game that you referenced, they decided to sort of double down on things, but um, maybe didn't factor how hard it would be to rebuild a defense. And this is this is where I, I just wanted to ask you a broad question. And then I want to talk about quarterbacks around the league is just like it seems to me now more than ever that your quarterback just determines everything that's going on, uh, unless you have maybe the number one defense in the NFL. But even then, number one defenses are fallible all the time in the NFL to great quarterbacks. And, you know, I saw somebody say the other day, like, I think that Kansas City's defense is a complete joke, but you'd still pick them, right? Like, you're probably maybe Buffalo is the only team you're picking over Kansas City at this moment, maybe Tampa Bay. Um, but it, it really, I, I think, it sort of comes back to Mike Zimmer football where you want to run and you want to hit a few play actions and you want to play number one defense. It's just so fragile that threading a needle. And even since 2017, I feel like it's gotten even harder to do threading a needle to play that way. It just requires so many things to go right. And what we've seen these last few years is it's just hard to get them all to go right at the same time. And then you go to the podium and go, well, we had this go wrong, this go wrong, this go wrong. And you're like, yeah, well, they're right. That's the problem is that when those things went wrong, you couldn't overcome them. Yeah. Your margin for error is just so small. Like thinking about this last week when the defense played well, or maybe it was Baker Mayfield playing poorly. Either way, you got good defensive results, but now this time around, it was your offense that let you down after the offense had played well in previous weeks. And that's just the light. It's not like a thing where you're like, Oh, we can, if we just fix it, we'll be good. No, that's always going to be the case. There'll be weeks where you put both of them together and you get a complete performance and you beat a team that maybe you didn't expect to beat. But more often than not, you're going to be this team. Right. And that's what they've been. And they've just sort of bounced back and forth around 500. And now you have a long way to get back to 500 and a very, very long way to even be relevant in the NFL conversation, which I mean, it's it's, you know, when I see fans trying to say, well, we just need to win the next two. I'm reminded of when I covered Ryan Fitzpatrick in Buffalo and it was the same thing all the time. Right. It was, well, see if Fitzpatrick just has a hot streak, they can win seven in a row and make the playoffs. You're like, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I suppose like that is true that that's possible. Uh, So Justin Fields today, I want to talk about some of these young quarterbacks. Um, Justin Fields was named the starting quarterback in Chicago. Welcome to the rest of the universe, uh, Matt Nagy, that what we knew for week one. Now, I've never been against guys who are who have to sit for a while. I've never had a problem with that. I I like that strategy, even though it kind of burns a year of your rookie year, but you usually don't win anyway. But this one. I mean, make up your mind, either go with Andy Dalton or don't, uh, but the bouncing back and forth, it just makes it look sort of incompetent. But I wonder what you've thought of uh, Justin Fields play so far, a, a tremendously bad week, a bounce back week, um, and just what you think it means for Chicago being competitive this year. I think that first week, that first game, our first start against Cleveland is proof to what you're saying about why the bouncing back doesn't really work because you have to run one offense for Andy Dalton. You have to run one offense for Justin Fields. And the problem is in practice, you have to run just one offense. And we saw that kind of Andy Dalton style of offense against the Browns. And it just didn't work because that's not the type of player Justin Fields is. You didn't draft Justin Fields to be Andy Dalton. You drafted Justin Fields to be Justin Fields. And the second game plan, we kind of saw a game plan that was tailored to Justin Fields. Like he was throwing down field more often. He wasn't throwing these short hitches. He wasn't throwing RPO passes. You were taking advantage of his ability as a downfield passer. And when you watch Montaigne going back to college, that was his clear strength. 
So I think this was just a move you had to make because you're going to play him eventually. And there's no point in messing around with the offense, trying to come up with this hybrid that works for both guys. Cause it's not going to work for either guy. So I didn't want to judge him based off that first game. And it's the same thing I'm going to say about Trey Lance after he made his cameo appearance last week and looked pretty bad, but that wasn't a game plan for him. I would give Justin Fields the same pass for that Browns game. And I think what we saw against the Lions, and you do have to factor in that the Lions are maybe a historically bad pass defense. One of the they're the worst pass defense in the league. There's no question about that, but they might be historically bad. But I, I think the, that was an encouraging sign to see that Fields can win in the way that you you thought he could win in and he could take care of business against bad NFL teams because not all rookie quarterbacks are going to be able to do that even against the worst defenses. And it's only going to get worse for the Lions. Kirk Cousins uh, destroys the Detroit Lions, and I don't see that changing this week. But uh, I wonder what you think about just evaluating rookie quarterbacks in general, because I think it's really fun um, to watch Mac Jones play against Tom Brady and say, man, that was a pretty gutsy performance. I, I enjoyed watching that game. I thought... You know, he was getting the ball out quickly on those blitzes and making some plays, and he put his team in a, in a position to win. Uh, and, and that's not easy to do when there's that much pressure on you and, and all that sort of thing. We've seen many people shrink when Tom Brady's on the other side of the field. Uh, at the same time, I, I don't think that I'm preparing a gold jacket for Mac Jones or uh, Justin Fields for having a good game or Zach Wilson for finally looking like an NFL quarterback. I feel like it's uh, one of the most entertaining things to do is to try to break down what you see, but also one of the almost sort of silliest things we do because I, I'm not even sure anything in a rookie year, unless it's a complete tragedy like Josh Rosen, will really tell us what these guys will be. Yeah, here's the dirty secret about covering the NFL is you have to overreact and take these silly <laughs> stances week to week. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be saying the same things every week and you're going to get boring and repetitive. Like if we did actual power rankings, there, would, there wouldn't be hardly any change week to week. The Chiefs would be number one no matter what they did the final the week before. Like when you look at those ELO rankings on 538, they don't change. But if we did power rankings like that every week, no one would click because they would know what to expect. And I think the same is true with with quarterbacks. We go back and forth on them after performances. Like I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go back to Baker Mayfield because he's a quarterback I like to pick on. <laughs> and uh, you guys just watched him as a, as a Vikings fans. Like he'll have these games like he had against the Vikings, and then he'll bounce back the next week throwing a bunch of play action passes to wide open receivers. And then people will be like, "Oh, you guys wrote off Baker Mayfield too soon." Like, see, look, he's producing. And unless Baker Mayfield wins in a way that I didn't know he was capable of. Like I can know we could do the play action stuff. If you, I want to see him, you know, run quick game from the gun from empty convert on third and long and do all that stuff, the quarterback processing stuff before I'm going to change my tune. So I'm not going to overreact to these performances. And it's the same with Mac Jones Sunday night. Like you said, he did what we thought Mac Jones could do, right? He was accurate. He got rid of the ball quickly. He didn't take sacks. He avoided mistakes, although he did try to throw the game away to Devin White, and that would have mm -hmm. changed the narrative completely if he caught yes. it. Yep. But I'm not going to, like, that didn't change my perception of Mac Jones. That was my perception of Mac Jones. When I see him, you know, creating plays out of structure on his own or throwing downfield in the tight windows, then I'll be like, oh, I have to change what I thought of this quarterback. But until I see them, if they're continuing to win in ways I knew they could win, I, yeah, my opinion is going to stay the same. So I think about with Mac Jones, how hard it is for somebody who's a rookie in the NFL 
to even trust what they can do because I, I don't see Mac Jones trusting throwing the ball down the field at all. I mean, he seems very scared to do it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think he's got the arm strength to at least throw it 50 yards in the air. I don't think that's impossible for him. Uh, but when you don't have a laser arm, uh, then it's much more of throw to the open guy. And he's coming from Alabama where it's always throw to the open guy, throw to the open guy. There's only so far you can go with an offense where you only throw to the open guy, right? You have to. And I think this was part of the McVay Stafford things. Like at some point, the guy has to drop back and throw into triple coverage and make a play. And it's the, one of the issues why Kirk Cousins, I think, hasn't won more is because he just doesn't do that all that often. At the same time, it's like, I feel like with Mac Jones, I don't want to say for sure that this can't happen because he is just starting in the league. And like, you have to real, like realize where those windows are going to be. And I think this is the hard part of it. I'm not trying to like sell you on Mac Jones. I'm only saying that I feel like with some quarterbacks, we decide what they can't do in their first year. And then they are able to like realize that maybe Josh Allen would be an example of like recognize that I have to be more accurate. I have to change my throwing motion. And it's, that's when it's determined where these guys are going to go. Yeah. I think all these guys deserve time to prove what they can and can't do. And Mac Jones is one of those guys. We saw him throw downfield at Alabama. We know he has it in him. I do think it requires a different skill set in the NFL where at Alabama, he could just kind of throw it up into space and he knew his guy was going to win that that space isn't there in the NFL. You have to pierce tight windows to throw downfield. That's where my skepticism comes from, but I would be encouraged from what I've seen from Mac Jones in, in the early days. Cause we do see that his, the base of his game, the foundation of his game, the, the quick processing, the accuracy, it plays like it translates to the NFL and he still has it. Like you said, give him time and we'll know in two or three years, whether he's going to become that guy. And if he doesn't, then they can move on. If, and if he does, then great for them. Kind of a weird situation there, though, that they signed all those guys in free agency and they just spent money like crazy. And then they have a rookie quarterback that's really hard to win with a rookie quarterback in the NFL. So it's like you you sort of stacked your team as if you thought you were going to play Cam Newton. And then you decided that you weren't going to do that, which, by the way, Pittsburgh should really sign Cam Newton. I mean, <laughs> right. What, what are we doing here? Exactly. Uh, now, with someone like you know, Trey Lance, I'm very interested to see how that goes because San Francisco has expectations and uh, of all the rawness, I mean, Mac Jones comes from a program where he wins a national championship. Justin Fields has a prolific college career, but Trey Lance, I mean, he played as many games last year as you and I did. So um, I think maybe he played one, I think, and yeah, uh, one. against the subpar opponent. So now he's got to come in and he has to try to like, lead an NFL team with expectations. And I, I think that's a totally different story from someone like the Jets, where if Zach Wilson has the worst game, you'd be like, ah, well, get him next week. <laughs> you know, that I, it's not that way for Trey Lance. I, I think it's a real uphill battle for him, even if he has Kyle Shanahan. No, yeah, because he has an actual vet, veteran starter that we know can start in this league and win games in this league. He was in the Super Bowl two years ago, and I think that really makes things difficult for him. And I always thought the plan – or at least I was guessing the plan was going to be, you know, give Lance his little package of plays every week, bring him along slowly. And by the time you get to November, December, maybe we're ready to unleash him on the league. And then the league doesn't really have time to adjust by the time we hit the playoffs. That's how things happen with Kaepernick. When he went to the Super Bowl. I, I don't think it was planned. Obviously Alex Smith got a concussion and that changed things, but that's how it worked out. And now Jimmy G, I think he has the calf injury or whatever, the lower leg injury. 
and now you that plan goes out the window and you just got to throw him into the fire and I'm interested to see what this offense looks like. I don't know what it's going to be. I mean, is it going to look like something we might see out of a service account academy on Saturdays? <laughs> because he did not look ready as a passer. And it was fairly obvious why he wasn't starting yet when you saw him pass against the Seahawks. Fans are going back to stadiums, so you have to be ready with the best Minnesota football gear. That's why you have to check out Soda Stick. I saw a ton of Soda Stick gear around training camp. I expect to see it in the stadium as well. There are so many cool designs on hats, t-shirts, and hoodies for the fall weather, including the John Randall design that is extremely cool. There's also the straight cash homie Randy Moss homage, can't stop the Thielen hats, and a personal favorite, the old video game designs that Tecmo fans will appreciate check it all out at sodastick.com that is s-o-t-a-s-t-i-c-k.com everything is screen printed here in minnesota and i can tell you that the shirts are comfortable and they last because half of my closet is now soda stick at this point again that's sodastick.com minnesota sports inspired goods and keep your eye out for our soda stick giveaways when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That was even in preseason two, where he had one spectacular throw and then a lot of really bad ones. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that he's ready, but yet that team is is ready to be a winner. So I guess they have to hope that Jimmy G comes back. Uh, you know what's interesting to me too to think about, uh, Stephen, is the Vikings didn't draft one of these guys. They couldn't have drafted Trey Lance, but they attempted to trade up for Justin Fields. That did not happen. They could have taken Mac Jones. They didn't take Mac Jones. And I think about as we discuss this, how interesting it is to talk about these guys and how exciting it is to talk about like what Trey Lance can be if he does sort of have it click in at some point. Like if he starts off, he's probably going to start off terrible. It was my guess. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough road. And then if it clicks, like the, all the talent that's there, uh, and the same thing goes for Justin Fields, that by the time the Vikings face Chicago late in the season, how interesting it will be to see what Justin Fields looks like. And I, I, I feel like there's, there's a lot of value in that as a franchise. Like even San Francisco, they traded their whole rest of their draft picks for the rest of existence for Trey Lance. But to have the fact that he's starting has got to be so exciting. And I have to say that I'm I'm very jealous of it. Like whoever's covering it this this week in San Francisco, I'm very jealous of it. And I feel like there's an extra layer of value that comes along with drafting someone like that, um, just of what they could be that's interesting and fun for a franchise. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why I am so like uh, attached to Cam Newton. Because that's what he was for me. He got me back into football. I was a Panthers fan back then and like – I'm going to be on, I watched every Panthers game, but I'm going to be honest, watching Jimmy Clausen go five for 18 every week was not fun. <laughs> it was hard coming back every like Sunday in November and watching that. But when you get Cam and like the Panthers up until that point, never really had a franchise quarterback of their own, like Jake DeLome kind of you know, quasi took him to a Super Bowl, but he wasn't like, he came in as a veteran, but Cam was different. And he's first round quarterback. He had so much potential. He was, unlike anything anybody had ever seen in the league. And I think Trey Lance kind of has that 
that to him, that potential to him as an athlete and a dynamic quarterback. So, yeah, and that's why it's hard for me to wrap my head around a team drafting Mac Jones in the first round, but I know he was the last quarterback taken. So it's not like they took other guys are, yeah, they, it's not like they took him over more dynamic players, but I just, it's just hard to get excited about a quarterback like that. Cause you know, there is a ceiling to it. Whereas and, with Trey Lance, like your imagination can run wild, especially with Kyle Shanahan. Well, I even think about like what we thought of Justin Herbert when he was coming out and the, all the questions there about him, but there was the level of intrigue based on his physical skill that has come to fruition and completely changed that franchise. They might even have some of their own fans show up at a game. Hey, yo, uh, I, I covered one of the games in the soccer stadium and it was purple. It was entirely purple. You couldn't find a Chargers jersey. Uh, so you know, hopefully when I cover the next one, it's going to be better than that. But that's another thing too, that these quarterbacks who are drafted recently, some of them have busted and just like blown up right in front of our eyes. Dwayne Haskins. Sorry about all that Dwayne Haskins, but wow. Um, just a miserable experience in Washington. You're the backup to a guy who can't take the snap and drop back at all. Ben Roethlisberger at this point, and you haven't taken his job, but, um, uh, the teams that have drafted many of the teams that have drafted these guys of physical freakishness have been rewarded recently. And the ones who haven't haven't Dwayne Haskins Tua, and, and Mac Jones, we'll see how that works out. But I wonder if you think there's a fundamental shift here because for many years it was, Hey, look at Brady, look at breeze. You want accuracy. And that's true. But now that I watch weekly, a guy who has incredibly good accuracy and can't overcome it when the other defensive line is is winning. I, I I just feel like it's the only route to go is to draft physically freaky quarterbacks and just hope they turn into Cam Newton. Yeah, I mean you're preaching to the choir right now. I've been trying to say that for like I think it was the my light bulb moment was probably the Burrow Herbert thing, where I it kind of, and it was a lesson learned from Josh Rosen because I was a big Josh Rosen guy. I thought mm-hmm. he was the best quarterback in the draft. Me I'm too. Yeah, I'm me too. And I thought of thought that because of the reasons you just said, we want a pocket quarterback. Like when I see a college quarterback go through his progressions from the pocket and do so like in a timely manner and throw it accurately, I'm like, that should play at the next level. But I did, I wrote about this last year. I think it was about Mac Jones. And I looked up, I forget how I separated mobile quarterbacks from immobile quarterbacks. I think it was like a certain amount of rushing yards per game. And if you were under 20, like the only ones that succeeded since the 2011 CBA, which cut down on developmental time and like practice time and all that was the only one that got a second contract that was drafted in the first round was Jared Goff. And if Jared Goff is like the best case scenario, maybe you should look for another scenario. And I think it's the athletic guys because it's kind of flipped what our notion of a a pro ready quarterback is. Like, I think, a guy like Mac Jones, who was so used to being the smartest guy on the field at all times in college. And now he goes to the NFL and he's probably, and he's one of the least experienced guys on the field. Now he doesn't, he's not going to be able to outsmart defensive coordinators who have been calling plays for 20 years. So, and if he doesn't have that athleticism to fall back when he gets beat mentally, then how, what use is he? Whereas a guy like Justin Fields, there was a fourth down against the Lions where he kind of rolled out and they had everything covered. And what did he do? He outran a defensive end and ran for the first down. Mac Jones isn't going to give you that. That happens with Mac Jones. You guys are punting. So I think that athleticism that you could fall back on, that crutch almost, I think that's a prerequisite for calling someone a pro-ready quarterback. Otherwise, I think it's going to take a year or two for you to catch up mentally where you can get to a point where you are beating defensive coordinators with your mind. 
Mm-hmm. And there's so many great defensive linemen in the league that they're just beating offensive linemen in seconds all the time. And if you can't run away from them and create something more, how many plays does that add up to over a season? How many times, like I I brought up the example the other day on the show, but of like Storm Norton is the starting right tackle for the Chargers. Who cares? Justin Herbert's going to make that fine, right? Even though that's a disaster, but he's going to make it fine. And your pocket quarterback is not going to make that fine. And how many times is he going to get beat by a Bosa or somebody who's great over there? It's going to be a lot. Max Crosby, it's going to be a lot. And so over a season, it's, it's 30, 40, 50 plays where this shows up that someone is in your lap and can you make something out of it? And it's hard to overcome that with just your mind. Now that, now that said, if I were the Vikings, I still would have drafted Mac Jones because we've also seen, someone like Baker Mayfield is on a great team because you get all the money that you can use. Uh, and I think that if you have the right setup, you can still work around something like that. And that's the sort of counter. But if you draft Mac Jones, you have to realize we're only having Mac Jones, our quarterback for four years. We don't care what he does because everybody who goes farther than that, they get themselves in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's how you have to separate these prospects. Now one contract quarterback prospects and then franchise guys, and for me, at least, there was a clear line between – I mean, I don't know if I would put Zach Wilson in that that first category, but I know most of the league did. Obviously, he went second overall. But between Lawrence, Fields, and Lance, those guys at least had the athleticism and physical profile to eventually become those guys. Whereas Zach Wilson, who's a smaller guy, I don't know if he's going to be able to hold up to getting hit. And uh, Mac Jones – I just don't know if they have the bodies. I was talking to Mike Tannenbaum recently, the former former Jets and uh, Dolphins executive. He was one of the guys that was really high on Herbert. He thought Herbert should have went number one overall. And his reasoning was he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he can throw, and he wants to be good. And, like, it's simple. It's a simple way to think about it, and you kind of laugh at that. Like, when, it, when he actually said it before the draft, you were like, oh, he just wants to draft him because he's big? That's stupid. We've seen that fail all the time. <laughs> But like when he was explaining it to me, it made perfect sense. Like Baker Mayfield, for instance, smaller guy who likes to move around. He's going to take a lot of hits and those hits for him might be, might lead to injuries that cause his physical ability to decline. Whereas Justin Herbert is a big dude. He can avoid those hits. And even if he does take them, he can absorb them in theory and he's going to last much longer. So I don't know. I think just maybe now, like I know there was a time Maybe it was an overreaction to Jamarcus Russell failing, but I think we gave up on the big, strong, toolsy guys a little too soon. And I think that was a lesson we learned with Herbert. Yeah, and I think that there were some very notable uh, implosions beyond Jamarcus Russell. I mean, um, Paxton Lynch. I mean, what? I just, I if Paxton Lynch was right behind me, I wouldn't know what he looked like. <laughs> and uh, who was the other one? Zach uh, Zach um, Hackenberg. Hackenberg. Yeah, Hackenberg. What, Christian Hackenberg. Christian uh, Hackenberg. Zach Mettenberg was Blaine someone Gabbard. else. Blaine Gabbert. Yeah. Yes, Blaine Gabbert. Right. Um, so there was always the uh, you know the guy who sort of. Um, like you said, has these big tools and Blake Bortles would be another one. So I think that this notable string of guys who are freakishly athletic probably shades our opinion of that. But I also think the game is just different. I think it's changing. That doesn't mean Bortles would have been good, um, but 
uh, I think it sort of sets up a different bar for who you want to have your franchise quarterback and who can take you somewhere under the right circumstances. And then you have to decide what those circumstances are. I don't think it was, I don't think it's just mobility too. I think it's the ability to make like arm talent is the word that people will use or the phrase that people will use, but the ability to make tough throws with an awkward platform or where you have to reset quickly and throw it. And I think we saw that with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield has a strong arm. Like we've seen him, he can put velocity on the ball. The thing is he has to put his entire body behind it when he makes those throws. And those throws that he missed this weekend, he kind of had to reset quickly or climb the pocket. And that, and that's when that, that lack of natural ability kind of shows up that, Oh, this is why he was a walk on yeah, <laughs> shows up. Right. right. And, and I think, Maybe that ability is something that we've we've uh, underrated in draft prospects. And I think too that when the other part that I see is when Russell Wilson gets confused, he then can do something amazing. Uh, I saw in the first half of the Vikings game, he didn't touch the ball in the second half. So who knows what he could have done. But in the first half, there were multiple occasions where he dropped back and he looked around and you could tell he's like, oh, no. That coverage doesn't look like I thought it was going to look. And then he just sort of like turns around and takes three, four steps and throws uh, off balance and makes a great play. And it's, it's those that are so hard. Like we've seen Brady for so many years, just be right on everything and never be confused and always be so accurate. Uh, And there's just almost nobody else who's able to do that. And that's what you see from, I, I think the, the quarterbacks of the future, if you will sort of end up like that. And if you are, if you're a Vikings fan and you like Kirk Cousins, I, I don't blame you for liking Kirk Cousins. I don't blame you for thinking that he can win and that he's good enough at football to win. But under what circumstances, I guess, is the question. And they've they've never been able to give him those circumstances. And also, there's just too many times in the flow of football where you're not going to recognize the coverage, where your left tackle is going to get steamrolled immediately, and those just take apart the Vikings. And I think it's, it's fundamental. It's like people look at his quarterback ratings, completion percentage, but there's this fundamental thing that sort of holds him back from being one of those guys. And now instead of being like, ah, well, there's two or three freaks that are great. And now it's like 10, 12. Mm -hmm. And I, I think another way to put it is if Tom Brady gets drafted in 2021, I don't think he becomes Tom Brady in this day and age where quarterbacks don't get the same amount of development until time. They don't get the time with the coaches to learn the playbook. Like Belichick was spending most of his weeks with Brady, teaching him how to read coverages and what defenses were doing. And that coincided with when he took off statistically. It was like 2007 when I think Belichick took a more hands-off approach with the defense. And I don't know. I just think drafting guys like that and hoping like someone becomes a Kirk Cousins, that's why – I kind of snickered when you said, oh, the Vikings passed on Mac Jones because it would be like drafting another Kirk Cousins. And the thing about Kirk Cousins' development is it took him until the second half of his rookie contract, the final year of his rookie contract to become the guy. And like you said, these quarterbacks are really one contract guys and you don't want to sign them beyond that. So if you're only getting a half a good year on that rookie contract, is it really worth it? I don't know. Right. Yeah, right. If the, and that, you know, like you said about the development has become just almost impossible. When I was growing up, Mark Brunell and Kurt Warner and all these guys would sort of come out of nowhere and oh, it was someone else's backup and now they're a superstar. Uh, we just don't see that anymore. 
My thing about drafting Mac Jones is if you have Kirk Cousins on a rookie contract, you can get an offensive line that protects him for four or five seconds, but you'll never be able to do that. You'll never have, uh, be able to afford the top free agent guard or whatever, which they've chased year after year. And it's just never uh, the guy always signed somewhere else. So um, I wanted to ask you before I let you go, because I've really enjoyed this. And this is sort of um, refreshing for me to stop talking about how the Vikings left guard has played recently. Um, so I appreciate the conversation, but I, I wanted to ask you like, what's su- what surprised you this year? Like, what have you been wrong on uh, up until last week? I was wrong on the Rams, but now I guess we'll find out. Cause I thought, I don't know. I've watched a lot of Matt Stafford and there's a lot of good and there's a lot of not good. Um, so I'm going to hang on to that take for now. Cause he, the, it was bad Matt Stafford last week, but has there been, um, some things where you thought, oh, you sort of never saw it coming. And then once it's in the light of day, like, oh, wow, I was way off on that. Hmm. I'll tell you one. I thought Atlanta would win. I thought that oh. they just, I thought they need a new coach and they would win. No, I'm with you on that one. That's a good one for me. I thought Atlanta would be a lot better offensively, at least. Like the defensive side of the things have, has not been a surprise. I thought Atlanta, I mean, they're like one of the worst offenses in the league. I thought they would be near the top. In, at least in the top half, even after they traded Julio. But I would say the Panthers on both sides of the ball. I didn't have faith in that coaching staff. I kind of question, I question Phil Snow. I question Joe Brady after what we heard Teddy Bridgewater say during the offseason. But man, that team is fun to watch and it looks like a well-coached team. And I've had to change my tune on the coaching staff. I think Matt Rule, I, I'm still skeptical of, of any type of like CEO type coach, which I think he is. He's a program builder first and foremost. Yep. But the thing you want to see out of those type of coaches is the ability to hire good assistants. And I have to say the Phil Snow hire, it's worked out. The Joe Brady hire has worked out. And those weren't like no brainer hires either. Like Joe Brady had never coordinated an offense at any level. He was the pass game coordinator for LSU before he got hired. Phil Snow was a big 12 defensive coordinator. You know, the, the means and the jokes that we make about big 12 defenses, these were outside the box hires and they worked. So I have to say, good job to them. I was skeptical as a Panthers fan. Sam Darnold, that move has worked out at least so far. So yeah, the Panthers, I was wrong about. Which, you know, maybe I'm just too cynical of a fan. I was going to say, though, we'll see because their schedule through those first three games was pretty easy. Uh, now, yeah. the, the Vikings will play them next week, and that will be an interesting test. Assuming the Vikings beat the doors off the Lions, then that will be an interesting test of like, are you good? Because if you are or because they've been saying that they're good. So, like, are you capable of going on the road and beating a team that has a decent defense and that has a quarterback who's now capable in Carolina? Um or at least for now with Sam Darnold, we'll see. Cause I I was skeptical about him too. And and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of remain. So, Uh, but it's, it's sort of been interesting to see how many things have fallen exactly how you thought, especially maybe like urban Meyer, for example. I mean, I I didn't expect this. I thought it would go. I did, but you expected this. Like, Oh yeah. I have the lowest expectations and he still managed to not reach them. It's it's, I didn't know the details, but like, Yeah. I expected this. Yeah, this is about how it goes when you hire guys who have to quit college programs because they're basically, you know, sort of shamed into faking a chest injury or whatever it was. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so, I remember he they played Maryland one time, Ohio State, and they were losing the whole game. And that man was having a lot of health problems on the field. And then they won at the end. And 
He's the healthiest man in America. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean. I mean, it's just these, I don't know. I'm a, it's like you, if you're a, co- if you're a former college coach, you've always got to go much farther to prove it to me. Cause I just don't, I'm not sure I buy it. Uh, mm-hmm. Steven Ruiz, you can follow him on Twitter at the Steven, which is with two E's. Uh, we had a, we had Steven Ridley here. S T E V A N. So yeah, it's S T E V E N Ruiz. Um, so follow him on Twitter now with the ringer. Very happy for you, man. Great to see it. You do gr- uh, terrific, terrific work. So people should look for your piece. That's going to come out on uh, Justin Herbert at some point, if I'm able to reveal that on the show. So yeah, it should be out <laughs> Thursday. So. Very good. Very good. All right. Thanks for your time, Stephen. Great to catch up with you, man. All right. Appreciate it.